Uh, let's review uh, somewhat from last night. Uh, for those who were not here last night, we'd like to bring you into the view and the feeling and the burden of these messages. And for those who were here last night but may not remember that much from last night, uh, and I include myself in that category, um, a little review would be helpful. God's eternal purpose is to express himself in a corporate vessel, which is a corporate human being. And uh, the ultimate designation of this corporate expression is New Jerusalem. And New Jerusalem is mentioned in the book of Revelation, which is a book of signs. So the things in this book should not be regarded literally, with rare exceptions, but as signs bearing a spiritual significance. So the city descending from heaven from God is also a sign. And the first characteristic of this city mentioned in John's account is the glory of God. And you'll notice uh, at least two of the verses we read in Colossians speak of glory. Uh, Christ in you. Christ in you. Amen. The hope of glory. Amen. And glory is God expressed. And in chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ our life is manifested, we also will be manifested with him in glory. So God wants to express himself gloriously through a corporate person composed of unnumbered millions. This is why the universe exists. This is the great will of God mentioned in Revelation 4.11. This is the significance of our human life at every stage. In order for this to happen, God must work Christ into our being. Because we cannot express what we are not. Many years ago, my wife and I had three dogs, two sheepdogs, bearded collies, and one poodle. And the poodle really tried his best to be like the big dogs. Uh, when they would wag their tails, it would be quite a sight. But Studley, the poodle, had a tail this long. He could only vibrate it. He could not wag it. And that high-pitched sound coming out of his mouth is hardly a bark. But he wanted to be like the big dogs, but he had the character of a poodle and the expression of a poodle. We cannot express something we're not if we're in that mode. It's just rank hypocrisy. The basic principle is <clears throat> what we express should manifest our inner being, what we really are. 
For God then to have the city of glory, New Jerusalem, his corporate expression, he needs to have a group of people who are his expression. And if we can express only what we are, and if we are to express Christ, then Christ needs to be wrought into our being. First, in a hidden way. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Then, what is hidden will be manifested, and that will be glory. The main thought here is that what God wants to do today, his will for your life today, is to work himself in Christ into your being. And if you are enlightened concerning this, and if your faith regarding this is strengthened, then you will be able to say when you put your head on your pillow tonight, Lord, I thank you that there's more Christ in me now than when I got up this morning. I I mean it. Every day matters. This is the intrinsic significance of our daily life. The Christ whom God is working into us is called the Word of God. And God does everything through the Word, which is both a living person, Christ Himself, and His written revelation as Spirit and life. I add Spirit and life to a statement concerning the Scriptures, because if you read the Word just as you read uh, USA Today, or you read um, an online newspaper just in letter. It remains the word of God, but you will touch death. Perhaps this is the arch stratagem of the enemy, to use the written word of God to kill the people of God. It's strange, but, but it's a fact. The Lord Jesus himself told the religious ones, and it's significant that the main opposition comes from religious people. You read through Acts. The Lord said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. But these are they which testify concerning me, but you will not come to me that you might have life. So our approach to the reading of the Bible is to never separate the written word from the living word, but to contact the person as we're reading the word. This makes the word the word of Christ. On our part, and we read verse 16 again, from chapter 3, we need to do something that involves our consent. Uh, If anyone here has had uh, a major surgery, even if it's been in an emergency situation, you have to sign a consent form. Uh, You have to agree. If you would say, I refuse, then 
the surgeon can do nothing. You can do nothing about your perilous situation. You dare not operate on yourself. But you have to give consent. It's not a small thing. If you say no, I, I don't want an owie. I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid of what will happen to me under the anesthesia, all of this. Okay, uh, you're governed by fear. You would say, no, I will not give my consent. That ends it. Our God is a great God and is respectful of the human beings he created. So that within limitation, you know, this doesn't go on forever. We determine by our willing or not willing how much the Lord will gain us in our lifetime. There's a beloved brother. Uh, I miss him. Not because he's going to be with the Lord, but because he just is gone. And he was quite a straightforward person. And one time he gave a testimony about himself that he just said no to the cross. He admitted it. And I thought, well, once he admitted it, that perhaps he is softening and he'll, his attitude will change. But it seems that he's still saying no. It's possible than to waste 50 years. He's closer to 80 than to 70. Just by the simple fact, you don't agree. For whatever reason, you don't feel like it. Uh, you don't trust the Lord with your being. If you don't trust him, tell him you don't trust him. He won't take offense at that. He appreciates an honest heart. But we have to let. And this let involves an active decision. If we are passive, that is not letting. Uh, let's suppose a brother and sister are courting and they, you know, they touch upon marriage and they kind of have this mutual understanding. This will probably go in that direction. And I'm old-fashioned, you know. I believe that brothers should be men. You know, brothers should be men and act like a man, and bear the responsibility of a God-man. So you ask the sister, in whatever way you have worked out, will you marry me? I love you. I believe the Lord is bringing us together. I have a box with a circular object <laughs> with a mineral on top. <laughs> and <laughs> will you marry me? If she says nothing, that equals no. No response equals no. We, we may wrongly suppose that if we are not saying no, we're saying yes. We're only saying yes when we say yes. So the brother is risking his neck. How about you respond in kind, 
Yes. Recently, on the trip, I was redeeming the time on the plane by reading a portion of Brother Watchman Nee's ministry about the limitations of God and his insight is profound, but I believe if it's really profound, it can be communicated clearly and simply. I suspect things that claim to be profound, but seem to be beyond capacity to communicate. And he points out, of course, God as God is omnipotent. This is an attribute of God, and it cannot be shared Only God himself is omnipotent, unlimited in power. But in this age, God wills to work through the church, through the believers. And therefore, we may say he takes the risk of being limited by us in what we will allow him to do. And a sphere of this is in the prayer meeting. Where the Lord may intend to pray about a particular matter. And for various reasons, the saints are occupied with lesser things. And want to pray about those lesser things. And so this great prayer cannot pass through the church. And so God cannot do what he wants, at least at that time. And he is limited. And Brother Nee makes this amazing statement. We need to restore to God his unlimitedness. This does not mean that God in the Godhead ceases to be omnipotent and we little humans somehow recover for him his innate omnipotence. That's impossible. We're talking about the exercise. We're talking about a situation where the Lord God can do whatever is on his heart. That's the significance of the prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven is a realm where there is no hindrance to God's will. God says to Abraham, go talk to Mary in Nazareth. Go now, and this is the message. Gabriel doesn't say, I'm tired. Uh, I've been, uh, I don't want to go now. There is no hesitation. When Peter is imprisoned and the church is praying in Acts 12, God sends an angel to liberate Peter. Later in the same chapter, an angel kills Herod. There is no resistance to God's government in the heavens. His will is done freely in the heavens. That rebellious element in the heavens has been cast out. But on the earth, Who cares about God's will? 
Shortly before I came here, I finished writing an article for our journal Affirmation and Critique on the will of God, one person, one way, and one goal. And that article begins this way, concerning the great will of God revealed in the New Testament, the vast majority of Christians need a deep and profound repentance. Because their interest in, is in God's will for me. God's plan for my life. I want a purpose-driven life. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? It's all about me. Who will read Colossians 1.9 and 4.12 and pray about God's will for himself? So there is a huge principle here. God has ordained this principle that in the church age he will work through the believers. He is seeking their agreement, their harmony, their oneness with what he wants to do. Actually, his way to achieve this is through the word. Now, how do we know? First, uh, John 15, 7. The Lord says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you will, and it will be done. Well, someone may say, I really like this. I've always wanted my own yacht. <laughs> and so, Lord, I'm going to uh, try to abide in you, and I will, in my way, let your words abide in me. me. Let me have the yacht. Let me have a Mercedes. That prayer will not be answered. But you may complain, Lord, you said whatever we will. Well, that's whatever you will when you are one with Christ and his words are saturating your being, communicating what he wants to you, causing you to will certain things. When you pray that will, then he will do it. If you just pray your will, he's not obligated. Some brothers were praying this morning. We believe that God wills in the near future to raise up a church in Missoula, Montana. So he is waiting for us to pray that will back to him. And, and, and we want it. It's not just, God, you want it. We want what you want. So, please follow the thought here. God has a desire to do something. He will not act alone. He wants some of his people to agree with him. So he makes it known through his word. Then his desire becomes our desire. His will becomes our will, according to which we pray. Then God fulfills his desire by fulfilling our desire, which is the expression of his desire wrought into our being. Now, this is prayer. This is the Lord passing through us.
If this can't happen, okay, we're in the realm of mystery. The greatest minds have not been able to reconcile God's predestination, his absolute sovereignty with human freedom. It's just the fact many things God wants to do will not happen. Or they will be delayed maybe by decades. And he'll raise up another generation to do it. So all of this consideration is related to the word let. For us to let means we agree with the Lord. We are willing. We give permission. We give consent. We will allow Now, he can work freely. The Lord does not move where there is passivity. But there is this principle, and the enemy knows it. And we've had reason to strengthen our young people that are training bound again and again with this principle. When the gates of Hades are attacking them, to hinder them from coming to the training, we point out this. We cannot control what others say. You just tell them, I'm following the Lord and I have decided to go to the full-time training. Or I am following the Lord and I have decided to go to the middle-aged training. There was a couple originally from the mainland of China, both with doctorates, living in the Bay Area, quite affluent, very successful in their work, outwardly Americanized. Then they begin to have this odd sense within them. Go to the full-time training. Sell your house, leave your jobs, abandon your careers, go to the full-time training. And some saints in the churches were alarmed and said to them, you are risking your life. They didn't agree, but they were not playing around and they were not reed shaken by the wind. And once they had the Lord's leading, they were decisive and they stood as one. They came to the full-time training in their later 30s, still within the age limit. Now they're in Nanjing, serving the Lord. This is a powerful realization. When we agree with God on the level of will, okay, we don't need willpower. You're not promising. You're not relying on your strength. This opens the gates of heaven to bless us. The Lord will say, now I'm free to move in you. What we are emphasizing this weekend, and we're about to come to the second outline, is... The word of Christ 
which is Christ himself, the word spoken by Christ. Christ is the embodiment of God. We need to let the word of Christ dwell in us. Richly, the first section of the outline will define this. This cannot happen suddenly. Because this involves another principle of the way the Lord gains our being. We're talking about our entire inner being. Spirit, soul, and body. Our soul, mind, will, and emotion. Our heart, our soul, plus our conscience. We're talking about all of these faculties being saturated with the all-inclusive Christ as the life-giving spirit. That's what we're talking about. We are not neutral territory. We are not empty depending on our life history, our culture, our background, our experiences, our age. We have all kinds of feeling in our emotion. Lots of loves, desires. All kinds of considerations in our mind. Motives, intentions in our will. One of the Lord's mercies to us is not to answer certain prayers the way we prayed them. So if someone would pray last night, Lord, saturate my entire being with yourself tonight. The Lord wouldn't answer that. And I'm not playing here because he doesn't want to kill you. He knows that you cannot bear that much change in a few hours. No one can bear it. We're talking about a reconstitution of our being. in which everything that's not Christ is removed and replaced by Christ himself, yet our faculties, our abilities are preserved. So we need to have a letting life, stage by stage. And I'd like to be faithful to you while I'm in the Lord seeking to encourage you. Certain aspects of the Lord making home in us involved spiritual surgery on our being. Okay, this is the self here. You are one powerful self. You're just a living, walking Nephilim. In your psyche. Maybe the sons of Anak would be terrified of you. You, you are really powerful. Well, what this is, there's a giant in you. An abnormal development of something of the natural life. The Lord is not going to play around with that. The Lord is going to slay that by the cross. 
So you need to understand, just as whenever I've had significant surgery, everything is laid out. This is what we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. This is what you can expect. Particularly one time. Okay, this is a life or death situation. This is what we have to do. This is what you have to agree to. We don't even know what this is. You have to let us search inside your being to find out what this is. Okay. And so our Lord knows that we need to experience His love more, that we need His cherishing more, that we need our faith to be strengthened so that we can advance to a deeper level. That, that's why it's just really a big mistake to compare ourselves with ourselves, to pattern ourselves after others. We're presently in different stages of spiritual development. It's so normal in a family. When my wife and I are with my older son and his wife and their ch three children, everyone is what they are right now. The children are not lamenting. Little girl, four years old, oh, I'm not worthy to be a Kangas. I can't even drive a car. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This be four until you're five. And then be five until you're six. That's why we tell the trainees, be what you are until you're different and be where you are until you're somewhere else. The Lord's goal is full maturity. That means you are filled and overflowing with the triune God. No ground left for the self. Okay. Only God knows the number and how small the number is. In 2,000 years of his believers who have let him do this. But we will see that we need to let him do this so that there is something called a full grown man. That's Ephesians 4. A full grown man. And this man is not a male, the Greek word. For male is andros, this is anthropos, meaning humankind, a corporate person. God wants a corporate man to fulfill his purpose. That is why we were created. And we should not invert the priorities of this purpose or we'll be snared. The first priority is image. We express God. This is primary. The second is representation, dealing with the enemy. That must always be second. But it's very real. What God wants to see on the earth is a corporate person shining forth the image of Christ and exercising 
the authority given to Christ in resurrection to destroy the works of the devil, to bind and to loose. This cannot be accomplished by a little boy. See, this may be a shock, and I'm not trying to be shocking. But even if all the people on the earth would be saved by, by noon, by lunchtime, the Lord would not come back. And God's purpose would not be fulfilled because you would have six billion plus infants. And infants are dear. I, I, I thought I saw a little one in the Lynn family. Is there a little one over there? How old? What's the name? Eva? Eva? So living. Eva will be blessed forever. Amen. And Eva will be with us in the New Jerusalem. But Eva's not ready to go to the full-time training <laughs> like her parents went. E Eva really can't do much. So that's all the enemy has to do is just to hinder everyone from growing to maturity. Just keep everyone in infancy. Or even if it's you know, pre-adolescence. There's no expression. There's no representation. You don't, we, a normal country with a sane government does not send 12-year-olds into combat. There needs to be young men and women. So we are considering Colossians 3.16 in light of this grand purpose of God to have a corporate man to represent him and express him. And Ephesians 3, we read the verse, speaks of this new man. And this new man has a twofold characteristic. One is that all divisive racial and national and cultural characteristics are eliminated. There is absolutely no divisive element left. The human distinctions remain. The human distinctions are of God. The divisive elements are not. So in my life, I've never been to Montana, but I got an impression through some fellowship of brothers that are there there's a Montana culture, man. If you go to Montana State or you go to University of Montana, what, who's a bobcat, who's a grizzly, right? Then, then you're in. You're a Montanan. Well, if we are Montanans and Michiganders and Floridians and Texans, we're finished. Even in the U.S., we're finished. Then positively, Christ must be all and in all. So here, what God now has 
is a full-grown Christ man. How about this? Christ reproduced. Christ enlarged. This is now the bride. The female form of Adam. This is now Christ. The female form of Christ. The church is the female form of Christ. Representing God. First, expressing God. Representing God. Before the Lord Jesus comes back, this full-grown man must be functioning on the earth, at least in miniature. He's not going to come back for a child bride. He will come back for a built-up body, a perfected new man, and a prepared bride, a counterpart. So the Lord must have the body. When he has the body, he will have the new man. When he has the body and the new man, he will have the bride and he will come for the bride. I say again, that's all the enemy has to do. And he doesn't have to work with the vast majority of Christians. He can just concentrate on the churches in the Lord's recovery and cause everyone to be stuck from the age of 35 on. Just employ the detailed master plan. Distract this one. Occupy this one. Discourage this one. Then work on their inner being. Trivialize, trivialize their whole relationship with the Lord. So it, keep it superficial. Let it be a seven-minute holy word for a morning revival. That's it. No deep opening. No ardent pursuing. Then the, then the enemy will let the churches be there. Let the churches be established. There's no maturity anywhere. There's no man anywhere. There's no threat I won't go much in this direction. And this is actually a word for co-workers, if there is the boldness to release it. Even today, even right now, in the whole recovery, who knows how to engage in spiritual warfare with some skill and expertise? Who knows how to fight? Well, I'm not going to go talk to my two little grandsons, Joshua 9, Sam 7, and say, why can't you fight for your country's interests? That's ridiculous. We are in a very crucial time. And we are for every positive activity that is in keeping with the scriptures, we must save thousands and thousands of more people all over the earth. We must establish dozens, scores, hundreds of churches. We must continue to have trainings of every kind. 
But what's the goal? The goal is a full-grown man emerging in all the churches. And this full-grown man will actually carry out Genesis 126. Representing God by expressing God. And I assure you, the enemy will fear this person. Now we come to the word of Christ dwelling in us richly for the new man. For this corporate person I've been trying to describe to you from the word. For this. We love the Lord. We're consecrated to the Lord. We're one with him. Now we see something of the desire of his heart to have the church as the body of Christ and the new man to carry out God's purpose. Lord, this is why you created me. This is why you redeemed me. This is why you brought me here. I refuse to live a life of vanity. I refuse. I will live a normal human life through every stage. I will advance in my trade or in my profession. I will take care of my family. I will take care of my health. I will honor my parents. I will be a proper citizen. I will do all this outwardly. But in my inner being, I know why I am breathing here. I am here to join with the seeking saints in the churches to become this man that Paul saw by revelation. He never saw it in actuality, although a small number lived in it. And we can do something along with God to assist him, we may say, in producing such a man And that is we can let something happen. We can let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And this word of Christ will bring in all the unsearchable riches of Christ into our being. And this word of Christ will function as a sword to slay the negative things, as a hammer to break up the hardened parts, as the fire to burn the thorns in us. We just let it happen. But we let it under a vision. If you will let it, just so that you yourself can avoid outer darkness and be somewhere on the earth in the kingdom, in a sense, I agree with you. I don't want to be in outer darkness. And I'd like to be on the earth in the time of glory, sharing the Lord's joy. But will we please receive mercy and grace to realize it's not all about us in our spirituality. 
One day the enemy was accusing me, he was attacking me, saying you will never make it to be an overcomer. I will never allow this to happen. You will be defeated. What am I supposed to say? So this is what I said. Maybe, maybe you will defeat me. That's a small thing. But you'll never defeat the church. You'll never defeat the body of Christ. Do you think I'm enemy? I'm just here to get a medal from the Lord? That only? The Lord must be able to fulfill the desire of his heart. To have the recovery of the church in practicality. So that through this recovered church, the body can be built up. And simultaneously, the new man can grow up to carry out God's twofold purpose of image and dominion. And on our part, we just simply need to let. Don't promise to be better tomorrow. Don't tell the Lord, if you forgive me this one time, I promise I'll never do it again. That, that's not genuine. Maybe you have a good heart. Don't misunderstand me. It's better to say, Lord, unless you save me, I'll keep doing this again and again and again. I am hopeless. Okay, now let's read through the outline here. And I don't know if the burden will be discharged or the burden will increase. Maybe both, paradoxically. We need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. The Greek word rendered dwell literally means to be in a house, to inhabit. I'm not a Greek scholar. I know a little bit. The Greek word for house is oikos. This verb is oikeo, to have a house, to be in a house, to make home. This indicates that we should allow the word of Christ to dwell in us, to inhabit us, to make home in us. And last night I did a little inhabiting based upon our brother Dave's faithful word to me. He said, you know, this is your house. And so I said, okay, I'm going into my refrigerator (laughs) and I'm going to eat one of my yogurts. And I was free to say that I could go that far. So one key lime yogurt Uh, became my evening snack last night. So that's the extent. It's a little progress. (laughs) I I haven't been upstairs. I I dare not go up there. I haven't been in the basement. I'm not going down there. Because I can't really properly make my home there. Well, the Lord wants to make home. Okay, not visit you. He's not looking for a Motel 6, even if you keep the light on for him. <laughs> I don't even know if 
I'm so retro, I don't even know if that commercial is still alive or not. <laughs> if Tom Bodette is still doing that. But that's fine. He, he knows that he, he has a Motel 6. That's, so he has, he has a place, but he also knows that um, that's not his home. Now, may the Lord cover us all let me tell you the real situation. And seeing the real situation should cause us to love the Lord more. When he came through incarnation, there was no room for him. He was born there in a stable, in a barn. There he was in a manger. How condescending, how gracious. Now, in principle, whenever someone opens her being or his being to him, he enters in as the spirit and comes into our spirit to dwell there. Then you know what happens? We imprison him. It's worthy jailer. And we don't know we're doing this, but the Lord is in us in solitary confinement. He came into me in August of 1955. I had no idea that I had a spirit until October 1966. He was willing just to be there for 11 years. What grace is this? To be in this teenager, to be in this young man while he's living the way he is. How gracious, how condescending. But even a prisoner in solitary confinement, you know, he can come out. And the jailer lets him out, and you want to do some hoops, you can go out in the court, or you want to pump iron, you can do this. But then the prisoner knows it's now time to go back. So there are times when we're stirred up, and we, you know, we let the Lord um, out of prison. We give him access to the rest of our inner being. But then we really want to do something or whatever it is. And there's just this understanding. It's time to go back. It's time to go back. The Lord is in. Okay, let's just take North America. How many genuine believers are there in North America? Could be a hundred million. How many of these hundred million will allow the Lord to make a home in their whole being for the body of Christ as the one new man? Okay, even among us. Okay, this is an observation for our encouragement, not a judgment. How many of us live in a homemaking way with the Lord. 
But we just tell him, I'm not promising how I'll react when you begin to spread. But I want to tell you, Lord, I am praying the Apostles' Prayer in Ephesians 3. I'm praying this prayer every day. Father, strengthen me with power through your Spirit and through the inner man so that Christ can make his home in my heart. The Lord covers me. When I began to pray this way and to live this way, maybe 14, 15 years ago, everything changed inwardly. And then I look back upon the ministry with which I'm rather familiar and to see how again and again and again and again over decades Brother Lee emphasized this one point. God wants to work himself into our being. Even in one message in the life study of Galatians, he said, I've spoken on this central work of God. I wonder how many of the saints see it. When we see it, we pray. And and it's very simple. I don't promise the Lord I'll do better. I can't do better. I won't promise the Lord I'll be different. I can't be different. But I will let. I will let. And I will tell him, Lord, even if my soul life reacts to what you're doing, don't pay attention to the reaction. Pay attention to the prayer deep within, which is saying, Lord, keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. Gain me, Lord. So when he makes home, he settles down. He's comfortable. Then you want to know what your inner sense is almost all the time? You are just so calm inward. There's such a rest in your being. You're not looking for anything spectacular. Because the Lord is resting, you are resting. Because he's at peace, you're at peace. Then, of course, he will decide it's time to advance. And there may be resistance. That Sister Barber, she wants to think Brother Nee referred to this. She was praying about something very costly, very costly to her. And she was struggling with the Lord. And she acknowledged the struggle. And she said, Lord, please just give me a little more time. You know I will submit to you. Just give me a little more time. This is sweet. This is real. One other note on this. Something I've observed. This is not a teaching. It's an observation. Many saints who are now in my age bracket. And by the way, you know, I'm not a math major. So if you did the calculation, I'm really not 80. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if that's any comfort to you, but. 
At least it's a mathematical adjustment. <laughs> that when they were in their 20s, I mean, they really consecrated. And they continued in the Lord's recovery and in the church life, but didn't grow. And now they are much older. Then the Lord comes in to honor their consecration. And so he operates very definitely, even severely on them, to gain them. And to honor their consecration. And then they die. They were gained. I rejoice. I rejoice. I've seen this happen. But what a loss for the church. What would have happened if that one had been gained 20 or 30 years earlier? And the Lord could flow out. What prayer would there be? What shepherding? What care would there be? What endurance would there be? What ministry would there be? Aren't you glad the Lord didn't wait until 1972 to gain Brother Watchman Nee for his own transformation? So that he could finish his course in victory? Aren't you glad that by the time he was in his 30s, he already knew the body of Christ and was ministering the overcoming life and could perfect Brother Lee to do the same? What I'm trying to say is the new man, the church, the body, the churches, the saints need us to reach maturity much earlier earlier than has been the practice, if it has been the practice at all. And the key is in letting the Word of Christ make home in us, every part of us. The Word of the Lord must have adequate room within us. Okay, why? So that it may operate and minister the riches of Christ, into our inner being. The Word is ministering the riches more than you know. More than you know. One time in one of the classes I was teaching in the full-time training, I called on a certain brother to give a little message. Practicing the principle, do unto others as was done unto me. And so, okay, we just pass it on. And I said, brother, you didn't expect this to happen. You just stand up. You begin to speak. And after you speak a sentence or two, the Lord will flow out of you. Well, he honored that arrangement. He was an obedient trainee. He didn't know what to say. No premeditation. He spoke in one or two sentences. Then the river flowed. An encouraging word to you who have been here a long time. There is more wealth in your being than you can ever imagine. 
What you need is an opportunity to let the Lord flow out. So this is what's happening. When I get back home, probably around 1.30, Monday morning, and I, my wife will be there to greet me, I'll be able to tell her, there's more Christ in me than when I left Thursday morning. And she can say, that's right, and there's more Christ in me. Shouldn't a day make a difference? A week? A month? A year? When we let, then this word who is Christ himself ministers his wealth into our being. The word of Christ must dwell in us richly. The riches of Christ are in his word. And when such a rich word inhabits us, it must inhabit us richly. For the word of Christ to dwell in us richly means that it inhabits us and dwells us in a rich way. I would say this has two meanings at least. Rich in the sense that there is a full opening for the word to dwell. And it also means it indwells us in the way of enriching us. Uh, I really mean this. I don't know if I'll ever meet the man. But if I ever meet Bill Gates, I would like to tell him. I'd like to look him in the eye, not stare him down, just look him in the eye, give him a firm handshake and say, Mr. Gates, I pity you for your poverty. I am much richer than you are. I am much richer. You have an empire of wealth that you have generated. I don't begrudge you that. I don't envy you that. I don't covet that. But I have spent my adult life not developing Microsoft. My career has been with the word of Christ, enriching my being. Okay, this can be illustrated by eating. When we take nourishing food into us and assimilate it, it indwells us richly. How well should you? See, assimilate it. You don't live by the food in your mouth, do you? That's where the taste is. Oh, those delicious but dangerous Fried cheese curds <laughs> in the mouth. But now, what are they doing to my body? <laughs> what will be the outcome? Whoa, it's me. <laughs> I'm now constituted with curds. Well, no, no, this it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And you don't live by the food that's in your stomach. You live by the food you digest then assimilate. Well, that's how the word should indwell you. It's not just in your mouth. You taste it. It's not just in your stomach, which is the human spirit. The human spirit is our spiritual stomach. There, then there must be the proper digestion so the word in our spirit is transmitted to all of our inward parts. That's what we mean 
by indwell us richly. In like manner, for the word of Christ who dwell in us richly means it inhabits us in the way of nourishment and enrichment. See, the word of Christ should have free course in us. Now, this involves movement. It involves avenues. It involves access to where it can go. When I was newly married, and getting to know married life and understanding the female vessel in this context, I used to really be, I don't know, frightened or at least worried whenever she would be hysterical. (laughs) But eventually, I came to understand some of the factors, you know, human, physical, psychological, that, that can cause that, and there's some understanding of that. Then the object of my fear changed. I'm not afraid when she becomes hysterical. I'm afraid when she becomes historical. <laughs> what do I mean? I mean the fine female memory selectively recalling all the wounds, all the offenses, all the things with the feelings and they're stored up there like missiles in a silo. (laughs) Then the disagreement comes and the missiles are fired. You did this, you did that, you said this and, and all of this is factually true. Then, the master stroke, she will top it off and say, you always do that. (laughs) Well, let's just say you have this historical sister who is empowered by the very wounds and offenses she has suffered in her married life. And she knows how to disable, maim, cripple and otherwise uh, paralyze her spouse. But, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a Swiss cheese memory. The gaps, the positive things you leave out. You've got this string of Swiss cheese, changing the metaphor here. And here they come. And this cycle can be repeated, it seems... You'll never, will you never let it go? Well, now the word of Christ wants to spread in you to go to those memories and to go to the feelings associated with those memories. And the word wants to discharge all of that negative emotion, all of that negative recall out of your being. Will you let the word do this, then you'll be disarmed. That's right. Forgiveness disarms us as we should be disarmed. Healing also disarms us as we should be disarmed. Now I can say, after all these decades, and so many of you can say, don't worry, 
You don't owe me anything. Everything has been forgiven. All the wounds have been healed. I could say this in my heart to the person who he had caused so much grief to so many of us. But I could say before the Lord, now he's with the Lord, I could say, Lord, he doesn't owe me anything. I have forgiven everything. You forgive everything. May it never come up. May it never come up. But will you let this happen? The young with the dreams. Will you let the word come into your imagination, into your heart, the dream factory of your being? I tell the trainees, we are visionaries, but we are not idealists. Idealists have a dream of the perfect church or the perfect whatever. And it doesn't happen, so now they're offended. A visionary has a vision from God based on the word. And he lives this out in the midst of an imperfect practical situation. While the vision is being fulfilled. So who will let this happen? Where's the sister? Where is she? Who will let the word of Christ dwell in her emotion fully in her memory? Where is the brother who will let the word of Christ dwell in all of his thoughts, in his will, in his strong will? Uh, this is not, this is rare. I, I'm not disappointed. I'm not discouraged. But I'm not blind. This is rare. All over the earth. It's rare. So we need at least one conference or two along this line to open up this vein of ministry so that we can incorporate this in our daily living. It's doable. You pray like, Lord, today I will let you spread in me. And then you read the word, perhaps more than before, with this aspiration. The word of Christ should be given the freedom to operate within us, inhabiting us and making home in us. See, given the freedom. So we're the ones who decide. And you need to decide that between you and the Lord according to where you are right now. Don't imitate somebody. We're not clones here. One of the Big lies about the full-time training is that the trainees are brainwashed. I'll tell you, I've never seen anybody brainwashed. Leland Baker and his wife graduated from the training at different times. Mine got renewed. Never got brainwashed. You'll get hundreds of trainees that will testify. That's a lie from the enemy. But I gained Christ, and I got refreshed, and I got renewed in my being. Will you give the Lord freedom? Will you tell him this? Lord, I'm not promising how I'll react. But I am deciding to give you the freedom. You can go anywhere in me. You can touch any part of me in any way you want to. 
because I don't want to stay the same year after year. I want you to have the new man. The word of Christ is actually the embodiment of Christ with all his riches. Thus to be saturated with the word is to be infused with and permeated by the riches of Christ. Isn't that pleasant sounding? Through the indwelling word of Christ, our culture is replaced with the all-inclusive Christ revealed in Colossians. It's hard to see our own culture. We can see others' culture. Well, if you can see someone else's culture, please realize they can see your culture. And we are all caught up in this. You cannot be a human being properly without being raised in a certain culture. But now we we come to this crossroads. Will we live just as a typical person in our culture, although we have Christ in us? Or will we become a Christ man for the new man? Instead of our culture, opinion, concept, thought, and view, we should have the word of Christ. We might not allow the word of Christ to dwell in us, or permit it to move, act, and have its being in us. As a result, what prevails in our being is our culture or philosophy, not the word of Christ. As you may know, the Lord intends to bring the recovery of the church life back to Jerusalem through Europe. Europe is crucial. Okay, I'm still looking for one German, one, who is willing for the new man not to be German. He may speak German, he might drink German beer, he might like sauerkraut and hard bread, no problem, that's external. But you can be one with ex-Frenchmen. You can be one with Finns, with Russians, with Italians, with the British, whom you say, oh, yeah, we know them. They think twice before doing nothing. <laughs> okay, even that way of speaking shows cultural animosity. I mean, will there be someone in Sweden who will be a Christ person and not a Swede? What about Italy? You can continue to sing Mozart arias. It's fine. Read Dante's comedy. Fine. Eat the second best spaghetti. (laughs) Why do I say second best? My wife's is the best. (laughs) I don't know. Will this happen in my lifetime? Will there be a generation in Europe that will allow Christ to be everything in them for a new man? I believe so. Otherwise, what will prevail in our being is our culture. Oh, the British. Never, never debate with the British. They're too witty. They're too clever. 
And the French. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. I've studied a little bit, just a little bit, for fun. The European philosophy. <clears throat> Very interesting to see how their expressions of culture. Wouldn't it be sad if that's how we ended up? The saints in Japan, the saints in Taiwan, and in China, in Russia, Ukraine, South America, all over the United States, we all end up, we're just typical nationals from our country. Indistinguishable from the unsaved people. Or, how about if all of us undergo an intrinsic change? The outward differences remain. But inwardly, we realize, I'm the citizen from another country. My passport is issued from the third heavens. There is nothing in my being intrinsically that separates me from you. No matter what your language is, what your complexion is, what your age is, what your social status is, what your race is, even I call your being to witness. Examine my being. Is there anything in me that is not for you, that is against you, because of these things. This is the new man. Now the enemy, even if we want to let the Lord grow in us to maturity, he'll just try to produce a multicultural recovery. Some say it's failing in Germany, failing in the UK. Multicultural. And we'll call this the one new man. We'll all come together with the outward diversity and we'll say, see, we're the new man. I was with Brother Lee when he read a letter from, about a church meeting. His brothers were so happy. They said, we have the new man. We have all these different people. Brother Lee was laughing there. Not negatively, but just laughing, realizing that's not the new man. That's the United Nations. That's a social gathering. That is just human diversity. It's good. We're all together. The new man is Christ. Brought into everyone. Replacing culture. It is crucial that we let the word of Christ enter into us. Dwell in us. And replace our culture, concept, opinion and philosophy. Negatively. We must set aside our cultural standards. And positively, we need to be filled with the word of Christ. This means that we must let the word of Christ fill our mind, emotion, and will. And allow our whole being to be permeated and saturated with the word of Christ. Through the indwelling word of Christ, we are constituted with Christ for the new man. The ultimate goal of God in his economy is to gain the new man constituted with the all-inclusive, extensive, preeminent Christ wrought into a corporate people. In order to put on the new man in an experiential way, we need to take Christ as our person. The word of Christ is Christ as a person living in us. The new man is Christ constituted into us. 
as the one who indwells us and who is our life. Christ is the constituent of the new man. The Christ we enjoy as our God-allotted portion becomes the constituent of the new man through enjoying the all-inclusive, extensive, preeminent Christ. We experience him as the content and constituent of the new man. The issue of our experience and enjoyment of Christ is the church as the new man, as we enjoy Christ, he is constituted into us and we become the new man. A little sidebar comment here on God allotted portion. That's a reference to the type of the good land, the land of Canaan, being a type of the all-inclusive Christ. Okay, let me ask you this question. And you answer according to your inner being. Especially those with a little more experience than new ones. In actuality and in practicality today, are we in the Lord's recovery living in the good land of the all-inclusive Christ? Or are we perhaps still basically a manna recovery. We have manna. We don't despise manna. The Christ who is making home in us through the word is the good land Christ. The all-inclusive Christ. Not the manna Christ. The temple could not be built in the wilderness. It can only be built in the good land. The kingdom cannot be established in the wilderness. can be established only in the good land. Next week, the Lord willing, there will be a conference in the southeast devoted to warfare. The general subject will be fighting to possess the all-inclusive Christ for the building up of the church as the body of Christ, the new man, and the kingdom of God. The word of Christ is the all-inclusive Christ revealed in Colossians. Now the word of this Christ is gradually making home in us, constituting us with the all-inclusive Christ. Too wonderful. Then there will be an issue. That will be the new man. The new man will fulfill God's purpose. Then when the Lord comes, the new man will be presented to him as his bride. And the age will turn and the kingdom will come. I want to be there in that hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet. Because Christ is all and in all, in the new man there is room only for Christ. There is no room for the natural man. So let's have a little quiz, okay? How I'll pick on my ancestry from Sweden and Finland, you know. And, uh, how many Finns are in the new man? Huh? How, how many would you say? How many? Um, how many Russians are in the new man? 
See, I wasn't, by function, I, I wasn't in Russia from the beginning. The Lord, through Benson, arranged for me to go years later because my burden is on perfecting with mending. And I realize, okay, now we've got all these believers and we've got all these churches and they're Russian-speaking. But, oh, we have a problem. There are too many Russians in the churches in Russia. <laughs> How can we de-Russify the churches in Russia? Well, okay, don't try to strip off anything. Just let the word of Christ dwell in you. And the word of Christ will metabolically change your being. You'll still have the same skin color. Very likely forever. It's part of God's creation. You'll have your characteristics. You'll have your abilities. Those who are refined will eat food with chopsticks. Uh, chopsticks. Those of us who are more barbaric will continue to use weapons. Okay, it doesn't make any difference. There's no feeling about it. If I go to Korea, you want to serve me kimchi? Okay. Here goes. Could we have Korean barbecue instead? Uh, we're not for some kind of outward uniformity. I imposed with some kind of abusive human authority or for an intrinsic constitution through the word. Since Christ is all in all in the, in the new man and we are part of the new man, we are part of Christ. I don't have a chip in my shoulder. I'll challenge the gossipers whose extent, the extent of whose research on us is just to go online and to mouth negative things. Okay, here's a challenge, a friendly theological challenge. Engage directly. We testify we are part of Christ. You agree? Yeah. You agree? Yeah. On what basis? 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The body is one and has many members. It still is one body. So also is the Christ. The Lord said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting Jesus when he was persecuting the believers. Now we have the new man where Christ is all and in all. The branches in the vine, are they not part of the vine? Not, didn't Christ say, I am the true vine? Are not the branches part of the true vine? The true vine is Christ. So you are part of Christ. You, you tell the ones. You want to say we have, this doctrine is off, this is off. Back it up. I just read Acts again. Paul could tell Agrippa. They can't prove anything that they're saying. That's all they can do is mouth the things. They can't do anything. We are part of Christ. Amen. Is not every part of your body part of you? If I would stomp on your big toe and your right foot, would you say, please stop stomping on that toe that's on the floor? You would say, don't do that to me. Don't touch me. 
whenever I was trying to kind of warm up my wife, when, and I would just gently touch her on the arm, she never said, cease touching that arm. She would say, don't touch me. <laughs> okay, every part of you is you. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And besides now, I'm frozen stiff by it. And so, I, okay, we're, we're very clear. We're all part of this. Let's be bold. God is building up a corporate Christ. The new man is the corporate Christ. The word of Christ is making us Christ. In life and nature. Christ is everyone in the new man, and he is in everyone in the new man. The only way Christ can be all in all in the new man is for him to be constituted into us through the word. Well, in a conference like this, I sincerely believe that before the Lord and in faithfulness to you, the first thing I need to do is to discharge the burden in full. So this requires a rather full speaking, which we had again this morning. But your spirit is open and your spirit is drawing, and I sense a sweet coordination with you all as we're seeking the Lord together. But now it's the time for many of you to speak. Please come to the microphones. Share something for about a minute. Anything that impressed you, that helped you, that enlightened you. No matter who you are or where you're sitting, follow the indwelling Christ to speak and confirm the word.